Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. season and uh, yeah wow there's excitement for track let me tell you what if you don't like track you might be sane but it's fun I promise I promise so today I've been talking about running Chris said uh, uh, he, he you know outed me I am a runner and uh, despite what um, you know I was never good at basketball I was never good at sports in general I'm not like the world's biggest guy and so I decided running might be in my future because I can't do anything else so I wanted to show you as time has went on what my running looks like and I want to kind of show you what's in my duffel bag as we start today because I've kind of been geeking out about running so um, if you're a runner, you got to have the right equipment. So um, short shorts are a must. You know, anything below seven inches um, is not true running attire. Um, if you can't see the farmer's tan, white pasty thighs, you are running wrong. I don't know why that's a rule, but it's a rule apparently. So you have your light short shorts. Um, you have this little piece of fabric called my windbreaker, which literally probably weighs about four ounces, but it keeps the wind off. There's a nice little built-in hood here that makes you look really nerdy, but is super helpful when it's pouring rain outside. So clothes are obviously a must, but... Let me get this off, otherwise people watching online think I'm a slob. Runners have special running shoes. Now, let me just kind of educate everybody on running shoes. You have your trainers, which are the ones you train in all of the time. These are the ones you run in Monday through Saturday, Monday through Sunday if you're crazy. Uh, these are your trainers. They're usually more cushiony. They're more comfortable. And again, they look hideous. It's part of running. If you don't look bright and crazy... You're not doing it right, but they are amazing. You feel like you're running on clouds. But these are your trainers, and then you have your racers. Now, these puppies don't hit sunshine and pavement until the day of the racing, except maybe one or two random runs to break them in. But these stay in good shape because these are your racers, and they stay in good shape, and you can run faster. They're lighter. It's all that good stuff. Now the really fun thing is that you get to put in your body. Oh, I forgot this piece. This little, uh, this makes my chest look big, big which my wife loves. So <laughs> I, the smallest size possible is the best because I don't have a lot to show. So smaller clothes, you're welcome. Just being honest. This little puppy is probably the biggest game saver. Guy who bought me this in the back, who's a marathoner, knows this. Um, there's this thing called chafing when you run. I'll leave that there. This goes between your toes and between legs and minimizes rubs. And, you know, I'll leave the rest to you. Endurance powder, because if you're going to run a long distance, you need a little bit of pick-me-up. And then easily the most disgusting fruit snacks you'll ever have in your life are these things right here. Honey stingers. Um, they taste absolutely terrible. But when you are 14 miles in and you are gassed on energy, you need the world's sh most sugary, energy-filled fruit snacks possible. And then I have my Gatorade, my water, and probably the most important piece in my duffel bag, keys if I decide I don't want to run today. Then you can just jump in your car and say, I'm done with all of it. Probably one of the most important parts. But if you obviously look at my bag, 
and you see me show up to track practice with my running shoes on and my duffel bag and my Gatorade and everything else and a clipboard in hand and a whistle, you kind of assume if you're an athlete, you know, tomorrow we start track. When I step in, foot into the gym and I have my clipboard and I have all my running stuff on, it's going to be pretty easy for my athletes to understand, oh, this must be the track coach. It makes sense. I look like a runner. I dress like a runner. I probably smell like a runner. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I look like a runner when I have all this stuff on. I have a duffel bag full of stuff that I've been able to accrue in my running career that has helped me to run better and run farther and run longer. But my equipment, my apparel, my stuff is not what makes me a runner. It just makes me look like one. To actually call myself a runner, to actually do the things that I want to do, I need to actually run. We've been in this series, this sermon series called Stry, which is all about running your race, about living your life, about doing the things that God's called you to do. And so I've been talking about running for a long time, for the last few weeks. PC last week was talking about uh, mentoring, which is so, so huge. It's another huge part of running, but of life in general. It's huge, mentoring. But also, as I finish up, I get the last part of my message here. My last little plug in this sermon series before Chris wraps it all up nice next week. And I, I seriously, I know I mentioned it in my announcements, but if you can at all make sure to be here next week, it's going to be awesome. Because I know that Chris, is, is, it's going to be a big day for your family. It's going to be a big day for our family. But I know Chris has a message that's really awesome. And you're not going to want to miss it. Please come honor them as they have poured literal blood, sweat, and tears into this place. Uh, I would not be standing here. My family would not be standing here. This church would not be in existence without the obedience and the faithfulness of the Vincent family. And so they're going to hate me for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Can we just give them a, a, a premature... Yeah. What I don't get to say often is it's awesome how much he honors and helps me, and you you see that on Sunday mornings, but what you don't see is the conversations, the prayers, the stuff that happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday by their family, and I'm thankful for that, seriously. So you're welcome. I hope you don't hate me too much, but you can't fire me anymore, so I'd have nothing to lose. I can fire you, I guess. We have talked about the preparation of running. We've talked about the race of life. Chris talked about the choices you make and how to make choices. I've talked about what you do in life when your motivation's not there and you're just not feeling eh about anything. You're just, you're going through the thick of it. What do you do? How to stay disciplined. He talked about mentoring, as I just mentioned. We've talked about everything metaphorically on how to prepare for your race, how to prepare for your run. And now all that's left to do is to run. All we have left now to talk about is, okay, now I know how to run my race. Now I know how to live my life. Now I just need to go and do it, to live it. And I'll say that last words of somebody's life, the last words they utter are a powerful thing. For anyone who's been at the bedside of someone that they love, someone that, that is important to them in their life, and they've had this moment of them sharing their last words, their last sentiments, you understand it's a powerful thing. Right? You understand that this is a huge deal. You're not going, hey, I broke your iPod in fifth grade. 
This is like the pinnacle. This is like the statement. If you have one thing left to say before you pass on, it better be important. And people make it important. Last words are a powerful thing. Jesus in Matthew chapter 27 is hanging on the cross. He had just been through what I have to imagine was the most unbearable, traumatic, painful torture process up to this point. And his disciples are watching all of it unfold. Even though they knew that Jesus was supposed to go to the cross, he was going to die, and he'd been preparing them the whole time, they're watching this unfold, and they're going, oh my gosh, this teacher, this person in our life that's so important and so huge is just getting tortured and is, is going to die, and that, and that can be a lot. And so for, for they watch this, and they watch Jesus breathe his last breath, he says, it is finished, which is a little bit of a teaser for Easter. We're going to talk all about this in about two weeks. But he dies, and they watch him literally die, and, and, and he goes down into the tomb, and for three days, they're just thinking, it's over. It's done. Jesus, this man that we love and appreciate and look up to so much, is gone. The hope that we have is gone. The, the hope for the future is gone. The love is gone. It's all done. It's over. But after three days, he comes back to life. Mary and Mary find him, and they run to go tell the disciples, saying, He's alive! He's alive! He's going to meet you! And then here we pick up in Matthew chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Their mind's blown. They can't believe what's happening right now. They watched him with their own eyes. They watched him die, and now he's in the flesh. I love it. It said, hey, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Who wouldn't? Who would not doubt this? Are you kidding me? Like, I watched him die. If I watched somebody die with my own eyes and they came back to life, I would be running the other direction because I'd be terrified. Like, how do you come back to life? They doubted. But I would dare say that last words are important. Yeah. They're hugely important. But the first thing that you say when you come back from something like this, I have to imagine is even more important. The very first thing Jesus says after he comes back to life, after he went down literally into the grave, went down to hell, defeated all of it, came back to life, meets his disciples for the first time since they saw him die, what's he going to say? Hey guys, I'm back. That was fun. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This was Jesus his inaugural address. This was his capstone. This was the exclamation point that he came back and said after he defeated the grave. The thing he wanted them to know the most after he came back and did his thing was their purpose. He had been telling them this for months and years up to this point, but now rubber was meeting the road and he was saying, I have the authority Now go and make disciples of all nations. Go. He's saying, go. 
run, live, live and do the things I've been telling us to do. And I think, I know that that same message is the same for all of us today, 2,000 plus years later. I'm not saying that you need to all leave your jobs and become a missionary, become a pastor. Trust me, the pants are not worth it. They're not. But your life means something. Your life tells a story. Regardless of what you've walked through, your life tells a story because your life is unlike that of any other person in this room, any other person in this world, and oh yeah, any other life in the history of time. Jesus, God the Father, created you for such a time as this. He created you to put you on this earth at this time, with this life experience, with this personality, with this gift, with this appearance. Your life is literally unique and unlike any other. You might have similarities. You might have things that you have just like everybody else. But in reality, your genetics, your DNA, your personality, your everything is the most unique individual one thing. In the history of the world. Of all time. Your life. Is significant. And Jesus is asking you to make it count. He's asking you to do something with your life. Because it is unique. The love you share. The hope you profess. The things you say. He's wanting you to make it count. We're here for 80, 90 plus years. Hopefully maybe not. Maybe it's shorter, but in the grand scheme of life, in the grand scheme of eternity, where time does not end, 90 years, even at the most, is a drop in the bucket. Our time here is so finite. So make it count. Let our life mean something. Let our life do something. It doesn't matter if you're an accountant. It doesn't matter if you're a CPA. It doesn't matter if you're a mechanic. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor. It doesn't matter if you're flipping burgers for a living. It doesn't matter if you're divorced, if you're separated, if you're single. It doesn't matter if you're old, young, middle, somewhere in between all of that. Your life is significant right now. This isn't like the rest of the world or a job or a prime where you have this window of your life and this is where you're most impactful. No, guess what? Your life is impactful from the moment you breathe life until the moment you stop breathing. There's an opportunity for you to make your life count. There's an opportunity for you to run your race. The race that is marked out for you. And let me just tell you, this is not just for the believer in Jesus. This is for the non-believer in Jesus. This is for the doubter. I love that verse because, yeah, they worshiped him, but they doubted. If you doubt in this room, guess what? Twelve guys who lived with Jesus, did life with Jesus, saw it with their own eyes, they still doubted it. You're in good company. But he continued to show himself as real. And so I want to give you three points, because that's what we pastors do. We give you three points, and usually they rhyme, but mine don't. How to run your race well. Number one, live the message that you speak. 
The disciples hear this from Jesus. Okay, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Awesome. Sounds good, Jesus. And they go and do it. They go and take the message. They say, all right, cool. I'm going to go to this town. I'm going to go to this town. I'm going to go to this town. I'm going over there. And they go to these towns and they go to the temples. They go to the churches and they start telling people about Jesus. They start telling him, hey, he died, but he came back to life, which means we have hope and we can cling to him and he's powerful and he healed this guy and this guy couldn't see what he made him see. They're telling him all about Jesus. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Good on you. And they're different. Peter, probably my favorite disciple because he's like the goofball who's always doing the wrong thing. That's me. Peter. The guy who literally, this little girl says, oh, are you a follower of Jesus? Said, no, I'm absolutely not because he was scared he was going to get destroyed and beat up if he said, admitted to a little girl that he was a believer. This guy who's scared now gets up in Acts chapter 2 in front of thousands of people and starts telling people about Jesus. Becomes a, a bona fide preacher. But all the disciples are going, they're doing all this cool stuff. And then in Acts chapter 3, we see this. There's this man on the side of the road who's begging for money, who needs some help. And Peter says this. Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now keep in mind, this man literally could not walk. He was paralyzed. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And then this is my favorite part. Acts chapter 3 verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. The life that you live speaks a whole lot louder than the words that you speak. The life and the things that you do go a lot farther than what you say with your mouth. These men had been saying, we know Jesus. These men had been saying, we watch Jesus do these really cool miracles. These men had been saying, Jesus is real. His power is real. He can do some really cool things. They believed in him. They said they believed in him. But here they put their money where their mouth is. They reach down and say, hey, brother. I believe God can heal you. Get up. Picked him up. He gets up and walks. We live in a world of hypocrisy, everybody. We live in a world of filters where you can take a picture of something and throw on a filter. You can even do things where, for those that are less facially hair inclined like me, I can put a filter on my Snapchat and look like I have a full on beard. It's pretty awesome. There are filters. 
There are crops. There are edits. You can polish anything and make something look like something that it's not. There are, we're so good at doing all of these things where we can cover up and do things or to make things seem like they're not or do things that seem like they are. But your life, the things that you do can't be covered up. The decisions we make, the actions that we take are things that we cannot put a filter over. If we say we love Jesus, if we believe we love Jesus, if we do all these things, let's best be making sure we act like it. Let's be different, right? You go to a restaurant right now, okay? It is slower than normal. Odds are you have a person who really doesn't want to be there. And they're showing it, right? They're dragging their feet. They're doing all this stuff. Do you know why? They went, they're probably actually not very lazy. Some of them maybe are. But they're dragging because people have come in and ripped them a new one because they're not doing things fast enough. You know why they're not doing things fast enough? It's because they don't have enough people to help them. We walk in there and... <laughs> Let me just be clear. It's frustrating. All right. It's frustrating. You have stuff to do. You have a certain thing. You're spending your money to be there. It can be frustrating when things don't go well. But hey, let's be different. Let's be different. Instead of just joining in on on the pile up of making people just like, hey, this is the worst. And this is this is despicable. What's wrong with you guys? Why are you picking this up? Let's be different. Hey, thanks for being here today. Thanks for showing up. Take your time. We're in no rush. Take your time. And if your service wasn't great, tip well. Do what I hate. My wife worked in, in, in the food service for a bit. On Sunday mornings, people would get there and go, oh, it's Sunday. And she's like, why is that a big deal? The church crowd. Oh, it gets busy? Yeah, and they don't tip. What message does that send? Yeah, we love Jesus, and we're doing great things. God's awesome, but we're not going to love people. Tip well. Love people well. Be different. When there's that person that's getting passed over that you see in your job, on the sideline, that person who's just kind of getting life obliterated, instead of just kind of walking past and going about your stuff, be different. Love them. How you doing? Listen. Be different. Go out of your way. Take them out to lunch. Check in on them. When that person, who you love this person, when that person is just ripping you apart on Facebook, when that person in your job is just, just giving you the business and just making your life miserable and just doing awful, awful, awful things to you, and the worst, worst thing, or the, the what you want to do most is just let them have it. Whether with your mouth or your actions. And you have every right to snap back and go after them. Be different. Let God take care of it. Let him sort it out. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But be different. Why? Because what you do and what you live say a whole lot more than what you say. When you're facing the impossible, whether it's with your bills, your kids, your marriage, your job, everyone else around you is going, how the heck are you doing this? Be different. I don't know. 
I don't know how this is going to work out, but I do know God's got me. And can I just tell you one thing as an encouragement to you? I think a lot of times Christians in the room talk to you for a second. We as Christians think that we need to be polished and good and be like, oh, I can't screw up and I can't do this. Can I tell you something? What you do after you screw up tells me a whole lot more about your relationship with Jesus than if you screw up at all. If you screw up, if you lash out at your spouse, if you do something to your kids, if you make a colossal mistake, if you sin, what you do after that, your response to that tells me a whole lot more than the presence that you, that you make a mistake. Because here's the reality. Romans chapter 3 says we all fall short. We all make mistakes. We all do stuff. But what do you do after you make a mistake? To me, that speaks a lot. Because let me tell you what, I make a lot of mistakes. And my hope and prayer is that I respond by admitting those mistakes and asking for forgiveness. My prayer for my life is that somebody knows I love Jesus before I have a chance to say it. My prayer for my life, this is just me, it doesn't have to be you, but this is my prayer. When somebody sees me and sees the way that I live, sees me interacting with my wife, sees me interacting with my kids, sees me interacting with you students, sees me out in public, I pray and hope that when they see me, they go, there's something different about him. Not so they look at me and go, I'm awesome, but for them to go, what is different about him? Live your life well. Live the message that you speak. Number two, face opposition with victory. You ever tried to bargain with a one-year-old? If you have, you understand there is no bargaining with a one-year-old. They get what they want. Let me introduce you to somebody named Parker. This is our little girl, Parker. Now, she is cute as a button, and that is a problem. Because this dad, who's got a soft spot in his heart, will give her every little thing that she wants. And she knows it. (laughs) This was taken this week, I think Monday or Tuesday. And she is sitting in her little chair here. And she has these snacks, you'll see, that are like virtually like thin little Pop-Tarts. And so I pulled one out because she was going, eh, 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 and she wanted food. She can't talk, so that's the way she goes, food me now. So I pull open the the packaging, rip one out and give it to her, and she looks at me and goes, eh? (laughs) Like, I want the second one now. And I'm like, no, Parker, you got one right here. Eh? No, no, you don't get it. Look at the picture. Oh, yeah. She got them both. You don't bargain with a one-year-old. They just get what they want. Because if they don't, the whole house flips upside down. They scream. They cry. They throw temper tantrums. And oh, yeah, she hits. I feel sorry for the poor guy that dates her first. Because she will let him have it. You don't bargain with one-year-old, but you can bargain with a three-year-old. My wife is a genius. She is super, super smart. And we found something that works with our three-year-old Ellis. Because when he doesn't give us something he wants, there's the same kind of process. I want this. No, bud, you can't have it. But I want it. Oh, in that case, sure, you can have it. No, you can't have it. 
And then the temper tantrum. And three-year-olds have a little bit more skill. They can kind of throw their weight around. And so Meg is smart, my wife. She goes, all right. Okay, what do you want, bud? I want a snack, as he says. He can't pronounce snack, so it's snack. I want a snack. Okay, what do you want? Chips. No, bud, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. But I want chips. No, bud. Can't have chips. Okay. Flips his lid. So then Meg gets down and goes, all right, buddy, you can either have no chips at all or chips later. Which one do you want? Chips later. Cool. Problem solved. She's awesome. She's a genius. I'm terrified when she starts doing that to me. Because it'll work. Bargaining with a three-year-old is easy because you know you're going to come out victorious. You know you're going to get what you want. You're the parent. You know you got the victory. You know that they can kick and scream and do whatever they want. But at the end of the moment, you know you get what you want because you are the parent. Parents of teenagers, this work as they get older. (laughs) Kind of what I thought. What if we approach every single opposition with the idea that we're going to come out on top anyway? Because I have news for us, everybody. When you serve Jesus, we win. Is it easy? No, but we win. We win. I don't have to stretch too far to ask people in this room if you face opposition this week, today, this month, this year. In your life. It's not, it's not a super hard stretch for me to go. Every single person in this room has faced opposition. It might be relatively minor. It might be huge. But we've all faced opposition. And to run your race well, you have to face opposition with victory in mind. Peter and John... Two disciples took the message to heart that Jesus said. They went into all the world. They were making disciples, which is just a fancy word of believers of Jesus. They were doing it. They were telling people about Jesus. People were were changing and getting healed like we just talked about, like I just read. Things were going great. The only problem was the same people who wanted to kill Jesus were not super pumped that they were talking about Jesus still. The religious people, the Pharisees, Said, oh, here we go again. Now we got to kill these suckers too. That's the Derek translation. (laughs) It's not accredited yet. Acts chapter 4. By what power? So they, they, they capture Peter and John. They bring them before the Sanhedrin, which is a fancy word of a courtroom of all the religious people. Acts chapter 4. By what power or what name did you do this? Derek translation. Who gave you the right to walk into the temple, take this guy who was begging for money and was miserable, what gives you the right to pick him up and heal him? They're they're great people. Let me tell you what. Verse 8. Peter, filled by the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. And he just launches into a mini sermon of like, we know Jesus. We love Jesus. Jesus is the salvation of the world. Jesus gives us power. Just goes to town on these guys. And then in verse 13, I love this. 
When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, that's a compliment, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Like I said, what if people looked at our life and go, they should not be as hopeful, optimistic, and happy as they are given what they're walking through. Why are they? Because they know where the victory is. They know they win. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, which, again, is fancy church word. You have God the Father up in heaven. You have Jesus, who is God in the flesh, and you have the Holy Spirit, which is literally God inside of all of us. He was bold and courageous because the Holy Spirit was within him, and he knew that Jesus won. He could be powerful. He could be courageous because he knew that, guess what? Even if they put me in jail, even if they try and take my life, we still win. I still go to heaven. Life is still good. As you face opposition, as you have something go wrong with your work, with your job, with your marriage. As you face opposition, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be all roses and sunshine. Opposition is not fun. I think that's a relatively easy concept for us to grasp this morning. Opposition is not fun. You might pray. You might come to church. You might believe in Jesus. You might do all of the right things that the pastor says, and guess what? Nothing changes. And you might be like the disciples who go, I worshiped him, but I doubt it. I worshiped him, but where is he? You might say we have victory, but it sure doesn't feel like a victory to me. You can't give up because I promise you, because I've read it and I've seen it and I've experienced it personally, we win. If you truly let Jesus have the very thing that is opposing you, if you let him have the very thing that you're trying to just hold on to with your life, if you just let it go, it might not be immediate. It might not be right away, but I will tell you, he will make a way. He will. Running, what they tell you is when you're running up a hill, When you're running into the wind, what you do is you lean forward, shorten your strides, and head right into the wind and just start driving your arms and push harder into the opposition. You charge it head on because if you, if, you, if you hang back and you get up tall, the wind pushes you top heavy. So you have to get down, get into the wind, and drive your way through it. It's not fun. It is the worst. It's terrible. But guess what? With each step, you get closer to the finish. With each step, you get closer to coming through on the other side. And you're stronger for it. Opposition when approached from an idea of victory will make you stronger, will show you more of Jesus, and it will change your life. Opposition is not fun, but guess what? Opposition is fruitful. 
Opposition will make you stronger, make you closer with him, and make everything else in your life kind of come back around if you stay the course, if you let Jesus have the way. And then number three, number three, know the source. For this series, I have drawn a lot of comparisons of how I compare running to my faith. How I compare running to Jesus. And I've, I've kind of tried to draw comparisons and metaphors throughout the whole way. But this one I can't. Because my source for running is the same source I have for life. There are times when I'm running where straight up everybody, things are going great. And I'm just reflecting about how much I'm so thankful for the things that I have in my life and how great things are. And then there are moments where I'm in the middle of a run and I'm going, Jesus, give me strength. Because sometimes it's hard. But you got to know the source. Whether it's in running or in life, you have days that things are working. You have some days that it's not. You have days where you're just not feeling like running. You're not feeling like living. You're not feeling like going to work. You're not feeling like parenting. You're not feeling like just being present in your marriage. You're not feeling like doing something, doing that. You're just not feeling it. There are days where you're really feeling it and things are going great. And you're going, ah, oh, this is awesome. Woo! My wife is laughing at me. Some days you're just whatever, whatever. I don't care. I'm done. I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to walk through this anymore. I'm sick of feeling that opposition. But can I just tell you that in every single day, every single run, if you want to go that way, there's a source available to you, a source that is truly Amazing, a source that is readily available, a source that has an infinite power, an infinite knowledge, and an infinite presence in your life. Without getting into all the exact words and omnipresence and all this stuff and, and seeming more smart than I am, let me just tell you this. I believe that Jesus is with you, every single one of you, right in your situation. He's with you as you walk through the great days of life and the not-so-great days. He's with you when you're sitting there going, how am I going to make this? He's with you, and he's with you on the other side when you come out victorious. He's with you all of the time. He's infinitely powerful. It's the reason that someone who couldn't walk, who was paralyzed, could just get up and walk just by grabbing somebody. He's infinitely powerful. And he's all-knowing. He knows what you need before you need it. He knows what's going on all of the time. Know the source. Let's read this again. I want to show you something. Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's great. We read that already. Run your race. Live your life. Go into your job. Go into your home. And live. Live for him. Let him into the tough stuff. Let him into the, into the good stuff. Live. 
Sometimes we're good at that part, everybody. We're good at running. It's this next part that we struggle with. Look what it says in chapter in verse 18, one verse before this. Before he says to run your race, before he says to go into the world and make disciples, he says this. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you know what this is saying? He's saying, guess what? I have the power. You run. I'll give you the power. All authority, all power on heaven or on heaven and on earth, I have it and I'll give it to you. So go. Sometimes we miss this step. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do my stuff. We can't go without the source. It's like me going for a run barefoot with no energy. I'll say no clothes, but that'd be really weird. How'd I end up in the back of a cop car? To run your race effectively, you must know your source. Can I tell you one thing? I tell my students this all the time. One of my peeves, pet peeves, I guess, is when people say, Jesus loves you. Because it's true. But that just seems so, so tiny sometimes. Jesus loves you. And love is real. Love is strong. For those who've been married for a long time, you know that love can get messy. Sometimes love means that this person is not feeling this, but this person is fighting for this love. They're protecting it. They're giving their all to hold this down. That's love. Love is when you're there when things are going super well, and love's really there when things aren't going well at all. So yeah, Jesus loves you, but he loves you. He's fighting for you. He is with you. He is going to go before you and he stands behind you, giving you that push to keep on going. He loves you. And guess what? He loves you when you don't love him back. He loves you when you don't love him back. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, you, you don't want him in your life, he loves you. And he's waiting whenever you want an opportunity. He's there. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how hard you've pushed against him. He's there. And so as we get into this Easter season and we talk about what it took for that love to be available to us, I think it's important for everyone person in this room to know that you're loved, that you're seen, that you're known, and that you have victory. We win. And we can run and know that we're going to come across that finish line. And it's going to be the most amazing, glorious thing ever. So as I leave you today, I just want a few practical things for, for you to challenge. As you run your race, I want you to think about who in your life just needs some encouragement, some love. COVID was the worst. COVID isolated all of us. Some people are still feeling that. Reach out to somebody this week. Evaluate where you are in your run, where you are in your race. Are you in the opposition? 
You need some victory? Let him in. Find some worship music. Get into the Bible. There are some promises that, you, that will just hold you anchored there. And if you're like me when I pick up a Bible and go, cool, where do I start? I have some really cool things I would love to share with you and some really helpful tools that just kind of get you into that. Because the Bible will anchor us. But the last thing I would say is this place is not a refrigerator for the saints. It's a hospital for the broken. And so whether it's you or somebody that you know, we're going to talk about Jesus in this place. And we're going to elevate our faith. But I want those who are broken to come into this place and feel arms wrapped around them tenfold. Because that's the love of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Your race is to go out into your world, your context, your neighborhood, your community, your job, your household, and love people. Not on your own strength, but with his. That's your race. That's my race. And we're on it together. And it gets hard, but it is beautiful and it is awesome. So you join me in prayer this morning. Jesus, you are a God of new beginnings. You're a God of fresh starts. You are a God that can do the impossible. And so, Jesus, I just pray for every single person in this room. Lord, the people that are facing the opposition are in the thick of it, and they're tired. I pray, Jesus, that you would fill them with your strength. Lord, for those that are feeling good, we praise you for that, Jesus. And we don't just wait for the next hurdle. We don't just wait for the next storm. God, we just praise you and are thankful for this moment. And we just take a moment to just enjoy it. To learn more about you in the blessing and in the promise. But Lord, for the person in this room, they've been pushing against you. They've been doubting. They've been hurt by a so-called Christian who made them feel all sorts of bad things. Jesus, I pray for redemption. I pray they would know, God, that you are a God of love and you are not a God of shame and condemnation. So, Lord, for the person in this room who wants you, Jesus, who needs you, But the way they've been treated, the way they've felt, the way they've doubted, they don't know if they can. I pray that person, Lord, would know that it's as simple as saying, Jesus, would you forgive me? I've made mistakes like every single person in this room. But Jesus, I want you in my life. And the Bible says, Lord, that you are right there and you fill them and you are with them in that moment. If that's you in this place, no one's going to look around. I just want to know if I can pray with you. If that's you in this place and you need to make things right with God, or you say, you know what, I just, I want to give my life to him right now. Would you just do me a quick favor? No one's looking around. Just between you and the Lord, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. I see it. I see it. Lord, be with him. You don't require perfection. You require openness, Jesus. Do a new work in this church. 
do a new work in our lives as we run our race. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.